we're on. All right, let's do it. Check, check. <laughs> Number one, let's go. All right. <laughs> Welcome to what might be a complete disaster, but we'll see. It could be, but we're just going to roll with it and see what happens. Could be magic. The, we'll set the bar low to start with and we'll lower expectations and then <laughs> we can build as we go. Works out well. All right. So go on. Well, who well, are you? Who are you and why are we here? So I'm Sid, Sydney. And the reason why Nick and I are here is so we can educate people on what a sports psychologist does because there's not much out there to kind of tell people what we do. Every time I tell people what I do or what I study, they're always like, and what does that do? (laughs) And they look at me with question marks, but also with so much interest. So hopefully we can kind of, I guess, share a bit about what we do, the different techniques, strategies, and how that might help not only an athlete, but the general population. So, yeah, what do you reckon, Nick? Well, even even the other day, I had questions from two people saying, are you a sports psychologist yet? What is the difference between a performance psych and a sports psych? So it's probably worth us at least starting there, I think, and we'll get, get some of that stuff out of the way, do a bit of, a, do a bit of an intro to sports psychology as a profession and then all the kind of nuances around like a mindset guru versus a psychologist mm-hmm. versus a clinical psychologist, things like that. I think mean, it's probably a good place to get us, get the ball rolling. I think so because, yeah, everyone's always like, okay, how is a sports psychologist different from a normal psychologist or a clinical psychologist? And it can get kind of confusing at the end of the day. So it'll be good to clear that up right now. Well, let's, all right. So let's start with how we'll talk just about Australia then in the Australian context. Mm. So how do you become a psychologist in Australia? Yeah, well, like the post we put up the other night, first you have to do three years of uh, uh, undergraduate degree, so Bachelor of Psychological Science. Then once you finish that, you want to get into either your honours or... Postgraduate diploma, that's what I did. Yeah, Yeah, it's equivalent fourth year program, but uh, yeah, a little bit different. And then after that, you have to apply for your Master's of Sports and Exercise Psychology, and that will take another two years to complete. Um, essentially, this whole time you're fighting for your life, I would say. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, you're sort of playing with fire a lot of the, a lot of the time. You're on edge of, of completely overdoing it and being burnt out from constantly thinking about psych and reading things about it and... Yeah, it's, it's full on. It's not easy. Exactly. And to get into each of the courses, you have to get a certain mark. So I think to get into honours, it's around 65%. It's high. It, depend, it depends on the uni, but it's high. Like it's a it's a decent benchmark. Mm. The, the unis that I applied for for fourth year, my first time around, they had a, they had a minimum cutoff of 70. So, and it was hard because I my the first one that I applied for ended up with a 68. And so I just missed that cutoff mm. and, and they said, like, look, sorry, that's, that's just too bad. You've, you've missed the, missed the minimum benchmark. So yeah, back around, back around I went. So it's, it's a, it's a harsh thing. Yeah, yeah. It depends on the uni too. Obviously some of the unis are going to be, you know, like some of like Melbourne uni who sort of pride themselves on, on the reputation and, you know, that sort of stuff, very old institution. So they've got very high, high standards for their students. Something like that is is damn hard to get into just as, just like on its own. It's just sort of the nature of the beast, I think. For sure. And like even me, like I got 
uh, rejected everywhere first for honours. It was such a grind. And then after you do your honours year, you have to like, I think to get into masters, it's roughly 75 to 80. Yeah, it's even harder again. I've heard heard roughly there's about, about, this is approximate, 200 applications per master's program for less than 20 spots at at any of the master's programs in the country. But I've heard more than that, yeah. So when I... When I applied, it was 600 that year per, for 20, per uni, for 20 600 spots. for 20 That's... spots, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was insane. It's so competitive. So for you to kind of get into masters, it's like a huge achievement and you feel like you can finally relax once you get in. Well, that's what I thought anyway. Until you get into <laughs> the coursework. Yeah, it was not easy at all, especially first year. So, but then sports, sports um, psychology, anyway. even different again. Because up until mm-hmm. what, like a year, a year, uh, two years ago, the only program mm-hmm. was in Queensland for sports psychology masters. Exactly, that so was people, it. You had one choice. People were moving up to Queensland, and now this is the course at ISN. And Sh- shout out to ISN. Shout out to ISN. <laughs> For taking us. <laughs> Bringing us the good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so after Masters, what what happens? Well, it sort of depends. Like if you're if you want to get endorsed as a sports psychologist and earn the title of a sports psychologist, you've got to do as far as I'm aware, it's it's between twelve and twenty-four months of extra supervised training with someone who has already been endorsed as a sports psychologist as well. So and I've heard, I've heard people get through that in sort of nine months. I've heard people get through it in 12, 18. Just sort of depends how long it takes. Um, but that, to be, to be an endorsed sports psychologist, it's, it's a very, very lengthy pathway. So let's assume it's an absolute minimum of seven and a half years if you went from start to finish with no speed bumps, no delays, no anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a long, long time. It's a long time. But I guess also to be aware of um, once you finish your master's, you can apply for general registration. So you are, you call yourself a psychologist essentially. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So Australia is a little bit different in that sense because we have the broad training program that allows you to then be a generally registered psychologist and work with populations within your scope of practice. Whereas countries like the UK, you specialize in, certain areas so if we were in the uk and i was a sports psychologist and you came to me and you had a clinical issue ethically i'm not allowed to see you i'd have to refer you on to a clinical psych whereas oz we have a pretty good standard of clinical base level training to then qualify you as this generally registered practitioner and then you kind of specialize after that so it's a good Mm -hmm. system out here yeah and so what's the difference between calling yourself a performance psych and a general psych this is one of the cheeky ways around it is performance psychology is not a regulated term. So you don't have mm-hmm. to be endorsed or go through certain programs. Obviously um, you, you can't actually call yourself a psychologist in this country unless you are one. Uh, and, and anyone that's doing so should be correcting anyone who assumes that they are. Uh, or if we get called the wrong title. So if someone calls me a sports psychologist, I have to explain to them, you know, no, I'm, I'm not there yet. Um, and there is a bit of a bit of a nuanced difference between performance and sport here. But performance, yep, can call yourself that. There's a whole bunch of different words that people like to use 
to sort of appeal to a certain demographic or or client group or organizations that will yeah essentially appeal appeal to that cohort and and not have to go through this sort of heavily regulated process and i guess also i think you should touch on how you are already a psychologist <laughs> that <laughs> okay, would be a good place to start right, let's, let's do that yeah <laughs> we'll, we'll cycle back around we'll do an intro um yeah yeah so i'm so i am a, a registered psychologist generally registered uh have been for about two and a half years now um but the actual journey of study itself i'm on to my 12th year of study in total so and there's still there's still going to be another because I'm, I'm planning on getting endorsed at the end of this so um yeah i've probably got another 18 months to two years on top of this as well um but it, it's like it's a bit like law where they talk about practicing law or medicine where it's like practicing medicine you're practicing psychology as well you're constantly learning and updating and, and new research comes out and you, you have to get on top of that too so is it like, oh, cool, we've been to uni for six years and full stop, that's it, off we go. There's constant learning and updating. So it is it is definitely a good part of it. But um, yeah, that's that's sort of where I'm at. I go with the title of performance psychologist at the moment because I'm allowed to, uh, but I'm working towards that sports psychologist title. But I am now thinking that everybody should actually know a little bit more about you too. So where are you at with your journey? Fill us in. <laughs> yeah, so I'm a provisional sports psychologist. What does that mean? So what does that mean? It means I am a psychologist in training. I'm doing my placements. So I'm doing my master's, obviously. And I have one semester left, just like Nick. But Nick's done a different course before this, and that's why he's registered already. So at the end of this year, or once I get all my hours done, um, for placements, I can also apply for general registration. Which takes mm-hmm. about six weeks too for that paperwork to go through. So for anyone out there who's keen on registering soon, don't hold your breath on um, on that getting getting processed very quickly because there's a whole mountain of them that come through all at once when when the university year finishes up. So the poor, the poor people at the there's upper a- registry office have a lot of work to do at certain points of the year. Yeah, there's a lot of paperwork to do as well. So that's yep. what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. And it's not cheap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's all it's all worth it. We must say it's all well, I must say oh. it's all worth it. After having come out the other side, it's it's definitely oh. worthwhile. So you'd hope so if um like this is like my seventh or eighth year <laughs> studying. <laughs> so yes, it's worth it. I'm I can see the light at the end of the t- tunnel and I'm super, super excited and super proud to have finally done this. So yeah, it's exciting. Exciting That's times good. ahead. It, it definitely is. I was going to say we we don't want to we don't want to be all doom and gloom in the very first episode. No, <laughs> at least we'll save that for the second. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> down down the line somewhere, uh, we'll we'll start to bring some of that out. So, so what are the differences between a sports psychologist and a clinical psychologist? What can we do that they can't, or what can't we touch that they can? Very very good question um let's let's say well the first part is the difference between the clinical psychologist and a sports psych is number one training so training and expertise Mm -hmm. so clinical psychologists as far as i'm aware i don't want to speak on behalf of clinical psychologists if there's any clin psychs out there or clin psych students out there very happy to have them come on and tell us exactly what they do but my understanding is very specialized 
it's what I would consider the more hardcore issues within the the general population. Personality disorders, complex. really complex stuff that requires certain training and experience to be able to treat effectively. Uh, whereas the sports like realm, we're talking the more sort of yeah, like moderate up to moderately complex issues, I would say, in presentations, but more so strictly that how that then impacts performance or an athlete's um yeah sort of day-to-day trainings competition all that sort of stuff so and it teams and coaches yes and teams and coaches the the dynamics can be uh tricky at times shall we say Mm -hmm. and navigating all of that is yeah part of part of what we can do too yeah definitely like if any athlete comes to us with bipolar or schizophrenia personality disorders PTSD, things that are really complex, we'd have to refer them on to a clinical psychologist for those um, certain issues. But yeah, so who do we work with? As a sports psychologist? <laughs> as a sports psychologist. <laughs> well, the sports psychologist will work with, as you mentioned previously, so teams, individuals um, across all different sports. There is, there is, it does seem to be a bit of a, a bit of a growth in the organizational space now as well, where certain organizations are adopting the more the performance aspects that a sports psychologist is across and then applying that to to the organize the broader organization or, or very specialized teams and things like that. Um, so there's a there is a little bit of that sort of crossover. So with organizational psychology being another another avenue, another endorsed avenue in the space, something that we need to be careful of that we don't cross over too much into other people's territory um, thinking that we know, you know, as much as them or whether they think they know as much as us in our domains and things like that. So um, definitely something that we need to be aware of. Yeah. Stay stay in our lane. (laughs) Yeah. So something that I've noticed coming up over the last little while for sure. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty tricky environment to kind of navigate um, because you're trying to decipher, especially in, um, working with teams you're trying to decide who your client is so is that the coach is that the athlete or is it the team and organization the different environments so such as like a general psych or a clinical psych they might be in a room you know sitting across from their client um whereas we we don't really have a place where we sit or where where we're based we're kind of with the team we're we're at the games, at the competitions. We might like grab them for a quick chat or go for a walk. And that kind of can be like a little session. So navigating those kind of different environments is can be difficult, especially at the start. And then juggling confidentiality alongside that too. So yeah, there's a lot to it. It was very informal, right? So, and I, I remember mm-hmm. getting a bit of a shock when with my first exposure to a to a team where I'd come out of the private space where it was in a in a clinic room, you know, sort of like behind closed doors. It was all sort of hush hush in the shadows kind of thing. And then first exposure with a team, it was just you're just out there in the open. People are coming up just randomly, just having a chat with you and things like that. And the first thing my I thought of was I wonder if other people are going to start to talk sort of amongst themselves that people were coming up and talking to me. Oh, so-and-so's 
talking to Nick, that's, you know, I wonder what's going on. That sort of thing. When like, it might've just been a very friendly sort of intro chat. <laughs> Whereas the people who make assumptions about yeah. that sort of stuff, it's a, it's a bit of a shock to the system when we're in that space, but it's, it's so fun though. It's so cool just to be out there and get right amongst it. Yeah. It's always different. It's so different. Like every time you go to work, it's something different. You just don't know what to expect. There's nothing conventional about, <laughs> about it. Yeah. It certainly gives you good variety. And it's nice to be in that team environment too. Cause I know from a, from a private practice perspective, sitting in a room, yes, you're interacting with clients, but it can feel quite isolating and, and sort of lonely at times because it's just you and the clients and you haven't got a whole heap of people that you can chat with and, you know, you have lunch with and whatever else or go for a walk. So being in a team environment is so good just to kind of like almost decompress like before the pressure gets too yeah. much. It's um yeah, definitely a perk. Definitely. And so I guess moving on to like what we kind of do. So the different domains the sports psychology Oof. sports psychologist kind of deals with yeah there's, how, there's a lot how much we can, time have we, we got? can touch on <laughs> i don't know not much but we can touch on like a few i guess like goal setting we do a lot of yeah that. Well, let's let's run let's go over the so the psychological skills canon so mm-hmm. for for listeners who, who are unsure it's made up of five different categories that we see commonly in sports like so goal setting imagery concentration, self-talk, and relaxation. <laughs> I've got them all. Good. Um, <laughs> these, <laughs> these are these are just some of the things that we can work on with athletes or, or other performers for that matter on an individual level, but more a broader group and team level as well. So the thing that we have, this is where, this, this is where psychologists are, are different from, you know, like a mental skills coach or or someone who who classifies himself as, you know, like a life coach or whatever, is that just using those those examples of those five areas, there are massive, massive bodies of research behind those, suggesting what works and what doesn't, what the best approach is, what what does nothing, what to avoid, all these types of things. We we follow best evidence. So best practice. Mm-hmm. So if the evidence suggests you know, for relaxation, it might be like progressive muscle relaxation is a really good technique to use to lower performance anxiety. Okay, great. The research would support that and we can say, yep, awesome. We can use this because there's evidence behind it. So that's that's sort of to give you a little bit of an idea of some of the things that we can do. Um, the list is is massive. Like, we'd, If we went through the whole list, it'd be pretty boring, I would say. Um in one go so maybe we'll unpack the entire list over a series of about 50 or 60 podcasts how does that sound yeah i think so i think like breaking each one of them down would be super helpful and the different like issues i guess people might face or athletes such as performance anxiety and then how we would kind of tackle that with them too so we have lots and lots to like discuss over the next um however long I'm kind of excited to get into it and yeah, educate people on what we Me do too. and how and everything we talk about, like even the general population can use. I just want to make that clear. Yeah, we're all we're all performers in our own in our own way and in our own space. Mm-hmm. So yeah, hopefully some of the stuff we talk about is is interesting and and yeah, you can all take something away and, and apply it to your everyday life for sure. 
and I'm hoping to like discuss all a whole range of topics as well that you know either in the media or extreme sports who we knows know my favorite. but <laughs> I don't know same but if there's anything else like people want us to discuss or they want to know more of like please let us know we'll definitely cover it but yeah it's, it's gonna be fun number one out of the way done <laughs> how good thanks for tuning in that's amazing stay tuned for the next peace out